0: welcome to the live inspired podcast with john o'leary john is the number one national best-selling author of the book on fire he's a world-class inspirational speaker and he's the host of the live inspired podcast john interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your
1: life story
0: here's your host john o'leary
1: well hello my friends and welcome to live inspired With John O'Leary. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their experiences, their mistakes, their lessons, yes, their life, what they learned, how they grew, and then ultimately, of course, what it means for each one of us. But before we dive directly into this podcast today, I have some exciting, awesome news to share with you. I am so thrilled to announce. The Live Inspired In-Studio with John O'Leary. If you like this Live Inspired podcast, you are going to absolutely love joining me in our community, In-Studio. I created The In-Studio. It's a monthly live virtual experience as a place to share inspiration, to share ideas and tools and time, to have discussions on topics that matter most to you. I've never offered anything like this before, and registration is opening soon for a limited time, so do not delay. Visit me at com forward slash in-studio. That's com forward slash in-studio. The doors to this community will be open only for a short time, so I want you to walk through and take back the possibility of of your lives. Do not wait. You will love this experience and you will absolutely become an even better version of yourself for enrolling. My friends, I can't wait to see you live in studio. Now, for the reason you are here today, this podcast, who's the guest? Janine Shepard. For those of you who may not yet be aware of her, of what she's been through, of how she overcame This moment, these minutes together, this time together, this podcast will wake you up to a true overcomer and ultimately, again, what it means to each one of us. Janine Shepard has a beautiful accent. You're going to notice that right away, but also a beautiful heart, an incredible story. She is an overcomer. You're going to be blown away by not only what she's been through, but how in going through it. Janine became even better as a result of it. She'll tell us not only all the things that she has learned along the way, but she's going to inspire us in no small way to take action, to realize that we are more than our bodies. We are more than our mistakes. We are more than our scars. We are more than our struggles today. Janine Shepard is today's guest on the Live Inspired podcast. My friends, buckle up for a wild ride. Here we go. Please welcome to Live Inspired Podcast, my friend, incredible overcomer, Janine Shepard.
0: Thank you, John. It's just a pleasure to be here.
1: Janine, you have a gorgeous accent. For those who may not yet be familiar with your life story, tell us where you're from.
0: (laughs) I'm from Australia. So I hope everybody can understand me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think they can understand you. What, What part of Australia are you from?
0: I'm from a small town called Barrel, which is in between Sydney and Canberra. It's just a gorgeous little country town.
1: And do you you live there today?
0: I don't. (laughs) I moved uh, to the USA almost three years ago now, and I'm also living in a beautiful part of America, uh, in the middle of Wyoming, at the base of the Teton Mountains.
1: When you look out your window, so take us out there right now, what are you looking at?
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm looking at the Rocky Mountain Ranges with snow on the top, and I'm surrounded by wildlife. I can't see anything outside at the moment, but uh, soon the bears will be coming back down. We have moose, and um, we've had I sat outside this morning having my coffee, and geese flew overhead, so it's a very special part of the world that I live in.
1: So life is returning finally to the mountains. This is a good thing. Janine, isn't that incredible? It is. <laughs> it must be pretty remarkable to go from the beauty and the chill of winter into spring and early summer. To, even that, what, what's that like to uh, to take that in as you live in this cabin?
0: Oh gosh, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, you know it's a very long winter here. Today is just oh gorgeous blue skies, and we always, you know, I like to sort of give grace to for for the season ending and what the new season brings. And isn't that just um, the way life works, you know, in
1: cycles? Well, and you've been through some cycles. Let's go back to some of the earlier moments. They were not in the Green Grand Tetons. It was not in the United States. You're from Australia. Tell us what growing up for Janine Shepard was like.
0: Well, I uh, grew up in a... Uh, Rural area called Jural in um, Australia, and for me, I was a little tomboy. I was very athletic. I started my sporting career at around age six or seven, actually, with uh, an organisation called Little Athletics. I don't know if you have anything similar, but yes. um, that really started my track and field um, career. And I spent my my youth, you know, running, playing sports, being a tomboy, yeah, just enjoying the outdoors.
1: Was there a sport in particular that you uh, excelled at or just really enjoyed?
0: I just enjoyed anything, really. I guess at first, obviously, it was track and field. My parents, um, you know, we came from a, a very, you know, just a, an average um, family in terms of um, the way we lived and um finances. For, for us, little athletics was a way, I mean, it was a very um, non-expensive way to get into sports. So that's what they they sort of fed me into that. And I spent, you know, every day running and, and on weekends competing in little athletics, doing all sorts of sports. I, at first I excelled in uh, sprinting. So that was my focus yes. in the beginning.
1: And to uh, keep, keep going down that path athletically, what, what became your focus later on?
0: Well, as I got um, older and through school and I started doing more distance events, distance running, um, I eventually got into triathlons, marathon running, um, and then, of course, I found myself in yes. cross-country skiing, which is the ultimate endurance event, and most of your listeners are probably thinking, but she's from Australia. There's yes. no snow there. <laughs> well, in fact, there is. We do have snow in Australia.
1: You have this turning point in your life janine tell us tell us a little bit about that experience mm.
0: well I, as i said I, you know my my base had been really endurance sports and yes. i really loved i mean for me just getting out and running for three hours was something that would just i i loved that i thrived doing those sorts of events so i found myself in cross-country skiing competing and Uh, My goal was to represent my country at a Winter Olympics. I'd been overseas skiing and racing, and I really connected with the Canadian ski team. We got on really well um, because as an Australian, we were a very small team, so we mostly travelled on our own. So I connected with the Canadian team, really bonded with them, and the coach of the Canadian team, Marty Hall, had offered me a position to join their team in preparation for the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary. So, gosh, for me, that was just what a compliment. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, um, great opportunity. Marty had said to me, "Come and join our team, train with our team, use our facilities," which was um, amazing because I, we, you know, as an Australian, we, as I said, we travelled on our own, we did everything on our own. So the Canadian team had had the background and all the facilities uh, to support me in in my goal of getting to the 88 winter olympics in calgary so that's where i was i came back to australia and i was preparing to go and join the canadian team when i had a life-changing event
1: and the the reason i wanted to just dive into it is because this becomes the the, the turning point in your life it's it's this mm. remarkable and tragic and painful experience, and yet it's why today, almost 30 years later, it's why you and I connected. It's why we're on this this podcast mm. together. T- take us through the sun rising as you're making your way up the hill.
0: Yeah, I was on a bike ride with my teammates. Um, we'd been on our bikes for around five and a half hours, and um, I, I just got off the seat of my bike in the part of the ride, of course, that I love, which was the hills, because I loved the hills. Um, And looked up, and then everything went black, and that was my last memory.
1: What what happened, Janine?
0: Yeah. I was hit by a speeding truck um, and left with extensive and life-threatening
1: injuries. Do you remember any of the, uh, besides the sunrise and the five and a half hours leading up to it, and, and then things fading to black, do you remember anything specifically about the event itself?
0: I remember nothing. And... You know, I feel really emotional talking about it now, and I guess I think because you and I are so connected in a, a shared experience of, yes. of trauma and tragedy that it sort of, um, you know, I can I feel this overwhelm of emotion. But uh, no, I I had what I call um, <laughs> people talk about NDEs. I call it a, a DE. I call it my death experience. Yes. I left my bo- I left my body. Uh, so what was happening? Um, to, to my body during that time, of course, and I'll just fill you in quickly with that, I, um, they didn't think I'd survive the accident. I had I'd broken my neck and my back in six places, broke five ribs on my left side, my right arm, my right collarbone. You know That was one thing, but it was really the massive internal bleeding that was going to kill me. Uh, by the time they'd taken me to the local hospital, flew me down by rescue helicopter to a large hospital in Sydney, my blood pressure was 40 over nothing. Oh my gosh. So oh, I wasn't supposed to survive. And for 10 days, I, I uh, w- lived it was in this, in and out of my body. And they told my parents, we, ca- we can't stop the internal bleeding. So just be prepared. And, you know, I just, for me, it was this experience of uh, looking at my body and, and, and knowing that it was broken beyond repair and I wasn't going back. I didn't want to go back to that body.
1: So, Janine, do you remember looking down at your body and seeing this broken image inf- below you? I do. And, you know, it brings a tear to my eye right now.
0: And, you know, I just remember knowing that it was this, you know, I've read so many yes. accounts of NDEs, and nothing that I went through was close to anything that I'd read afterwards. So,. You know it's a very personal experience and and people always want to know about it and I often say well I don't talk about it because you know I came back to teach people how to live not to not to talk about the afterlife. Yes. And and I guess you know after 10 days coming making the decision to come back to my body opening my eyes and seeing my father's face the first feeling was this overwhelm of what am I doing back yes. here? <laughs> I'm not meant to be here and you know what i didn't know at the time of course is that my mum and dad were at my bedside the whole time and i my dad was holding my hand and i remember him later saying to me that he just he prayed and he, his his prayer was god give her my strength i don't need it give yes. her my strength and i just really think that that was my lifeline you know i wanted to let go but i couldn't it was like i was being anchored
1: in, and into I'm, my body. I'm curious, Janine. You, you said that uh, you, after you made the decision ten days in to come back to your body. Do do you feel like that? That's a decision that you made.
0: Oh, I do. Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, I had a, a very clear memory of you know not being alone in that in that other world, in that other dimension, and I remember being told that if I went back to my body. It would be into a body that was um, yes. would have certain challenges physically, obviously, uh, and you know it was like this, almost like there was this, you know, higher part of me, this higher self, that knew that this was an incredible opportunity to come back.
1: When you came back, tell me and tell our friends listening what what are you really coming back to? Yes, your father's holding your hand, but whose hand is he really holding now? What what are you like physically?
0: Well, my body was broken. You know that the first thing after ten days, the internal bleeding stopped, and the doctor said, "Right, okay, now now we think she's going. You know, she's going to live now." But the next concern yes. is the paralysis. So I was paralyzed from the waist down. And in excruciating pain. Oh my good gosh. It was so the truck that hit me, I was up off the seat of my bike. So it hit me in the back. It, the seat came off the bike. I went flying through the air. So my torso, of yes. course, uh, took the brunt of that. I landed on my head. So my whole body was just bruised, black and blue and swollen, as well as the broken neck and back and everything else that was broken. So lying on that, on a thin, hard spinal bed was excruciating and you know i can remember this doctor saying to me i'm gonna we just want to test the feeling in your legs now we're gonna we're gonna be pricking you with a pin (laughs) and i remember thinking okay well you better start and of course he already had been pricking me and i had absolutely no feeling in my legs or any movement so they did some tests um to test the um you know, the paralysis and, and the level of spinal cord damage. And they discovered that even though the neck break was a stable fracture, the back L1, yes. the lumbar region in my back, that vertebrae was completely crushed. It was what I they call a comminuted fracture. So <clears throat> basically, I didn't have an L1 vertebrae anymore. And that bone was lodged all throughout my spinal cord.
1: Janine, you as a little girl, and then as a young woman, you, you were athletics. You were an Olympic athlete. You, you are all these amazing things, and now you can't even move your legs. I'm, I'm just curious, what, what for all of us, that would be an incredible struggle and extremely painful to realize we, we may never move our legs again. We'll never be able to walk or run or to kind of take care of ourselves. For you, though, who have identified as an athlete, what, what is that like for you to experience that diagnosis?
0: Well, you can imagine, I think it's most people's worst nightmare, you you know, you're going to wake up paralyzed in a spinal ward. And I think in the beginning, I just refused to believe it. You know, I kept thinking, no, no, it's okay. And, um, you know, the doctors told my parents, don't tell her anything until she asks. So I think they thought she'll just give up. So it was sort of on this, drip. they sort of drip fed me information. And, you know, oh, by the way, now this is, this is, you know, you've broken this or, oh, no, now, the, you know, we have broken this. And, of course, I think um, the penny really dropped when I had a little flicker of movement, of return of yes. movement in, in my foot and they were all excited. And then, of course, it stopped again. So there, in those early days it, with a spinal cord injury, there's a lot of swelling. There's a lot of shock. And, and you know, nobody can tell how much um, recovery you're going to get. Then after six weeks, everything stopped again and um, started going backwards. And then they said, we're going to have to operate. And I think that's when it really, I thought, oh, my goodness. I remember that night lying in, in bed in hospital. It was quiet. I mean, the silence is deafening in a yes. spinal ward. You're, you're, you're alone. You're scared. You know, pa- my parents had gone home. And, you know, of course, you've got to remember you're lying flat on your back and you're staring at a roof. You can't move your neck. You've got to, I had a neck brace you can't move any part of your body body. and you're left to your own thoughts. And I remember the night before the surgery. And of course it was touch and goes, this this sort of surgery. It's really delicate surgery and nobody knows how it's going to turn out. And I remember that a nurse sitting with me that night and just, and sitting with me as um, I just, you know, I just remember um, at one point crying and, and, and thinking I, I was actually sick. And of course, I was lying flat on my back and they had to call the orderlies in and turn me on my side and I was sick and, um, and then the nurse sitting with me that night and we were just talking about, you know, th- the feelings that I felt and yes. the fear and the anxiety and how it would turn out and uh, I think I came to the point where I realized that I needed to be strong for my parents now, <laughs> you know, and... I remember them coming in early the next morning and being wheeled out for that surgery and just saying to Mum, no, it's going to be okay, and seeing tears in her eyes and saying, it's going to be okay, Mum. I'm going to be okay. And um, that was a fairly profound moment in
1: hospital. Janine, you're, you're 24 or so when the accident happens? Mm,
0: yeah, I was. I had the world in front of me. You know, I had this strong body that, yes. you know, I thought defined everything I was in life and
1: who I was. Well, in reading your book and, and also in watching your remarkable TED Talk, you talked before the accident about loving hills. And for any of us who have ever been on a bike, been cross-country skiing, <laughs> walked up a hill, most of us hate hills. And yet Janine <laughs> Shepard loved hills. It's when, when you truly excelled. Uh, I'm going to ask it in twofold. What do you think it was about hills you loved before the accident? And then secondly... How do you think that love of hills and the metaphor that it stands for helped uh, usher you through these incredibly dark uphill days that followed after the accident?
0: That's a great question, John. You know, I... Loving the hills is a philosophy I developed very early on uh, when I went training with my teammates because we'd get to the hills and they'd all complain. And I thought, uh-huh, yes. aha, <laughs> this is my edge. You know, if I can embrace the hills and love the hills, then, I, you know, I have an edge over my competitors. In, in, and for an athlete, yes. that was a great, huge. great thing. So, you know, they, they made me physically strong, but they actually made me mentally tough. No doubt. And You know, I talk about the hills now as being, you know, all the challenges we have in life. I say you don't have to like them, but you have to love them. And loving them is knowing that there's a deeper purpose in the hills, you know, in the challenges in life. I always say the magic happens on the other side of the hill.
1: (laughs) So tell me, and again, all of our followers, what does it mean, the the difference between liking them? You don't have to like hills, whatever that means for each Mm -hmm. of us listening today, but you have to learn to love them. Tell me what that means to you.
0: Well, it's understanding the value in the, in the challenge, the value in the struggle. You know, when I got home from hospital and, you know, I, you know, there were some significant things, and I'll talk about that a little later, that happened when I got home. Um, you know, I realized that, you know, that, that whole philosophy is of, come on, Janine, you know, you love the hills. And yes. even today, I mean, I, I, I do that because I see, I see value in struggle. You know, the, it cultivates us. You know, it cultivates the the qualities that that really matter in life. And um, you know, I think it's the hills. I mean, you know, we if if we if life was just all about the valleys, it'd be boring. Yes. You know, the hills, you know, are where the value is in life. They're they're the the times that really matter, and we get to look at who we are and dig deep. And um, you know, I mean, I think they're the times that really sharpen. Our tools.
1: Janine, how long were you in hospital?
0: Almost six months.
1: When you finally do come home, against all odds, what is your physical condition at that point?
0: Well, I left hospital. Um, There was nothing left to me. I was so thin. I weighed, um, you know, I'd lost so much weight, so much muscle. I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. My body was wrapped in a plaster body cast. I was attached to a catheter bottle. And I was told. You'll never be able to do the things you did before. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to rethink everything you did in your life.
1: When you're told this, and I think many of us receive that diagnosis in one facet of life or another, but never as directly as, as what you received it, how, how do you internalize that? What do you do with that new information?
0: So it was devastating because if, if you went back now, I mean, a, a lot of medical staff think, well, we don't want to give a patient false hope. Yes. And you know, John, that how important it is to have hope in life. I mean, you know, if we look at research, I mean, I'm I'm really interested in the whole concept of hope. I mean, hope is 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 the motivation to keep going. Yes. You know, hope that we can get better, hope that we can recover, hope that, you know, that life can still be great. Yes. And you know, it was almost like being stripped of hope when they said to me, nope, you'll never be able to do the things you did before. So once again, that part of me that kicked in, that Janine the machine said, nope, they're wrong. You know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get my life back. And then I got home from hospital and I have to say that uh, something significant happened, which I wrote about in this book. It's some very personal things. And I say often to people that, People think that spinal cord injury is all about walking and that's part of it, but it's much more complex than that. It's the hidden side of spinal cord injury that people don't really understand, um, which I hope that I help people to understand, uh, you know, just the debilitating effects of spinal cord injury. It's not just walking. It's loss of feeling, um, chronic pain, loss of sexual function, uh, depression, you know, there's... So many parts of it that people are not aware of. So, of course, I got home. I was wheeled into a doctor's office, a rehab, part of my rehab in another hospital. And I remember sitting there in my plaster body cast and and this male doctor said to me, okay, so uh, it's time to talk about your sex life. And I remember sitting in my wheelchair and feeling horribly embarrassed Mm. and indignant. I mean, I was a 20-something-year-old woman. He was a... 50-something-year-old man. (laughs) And I remember sort of trying to hold back my tears and saying, well, isn't there a female doctor? And he said, no, I'm sorry. Now, listen, he said, you'll know you'll probably never have the big O again. (laughs) Can you believe that? No, I'm shocked. (laughs) Seriously, I was horrified and embarrassed. And, you know, I didn't want to sort of let on to him. And I just sort of got out of that conversation as quickly as I could and I remember mum driving me home and that night was I think one of the darkest nights I'd had and I think you know I, I went home and I thought to myself why did I come back to this body yes. <laughs> how much more can I lose you know I've lost so much and now he's telling me I can't be a woman and I wanted to give up and you- that was a seminal moment for me
1: When you are the darkest uh, of nights or days and you've been given bad news and no reason for hope, not only around not being a woman, but not being able to do the things that once defined you and allowed you to really suck the full marrow out of life, which you enjoyed so much athletically. What, what, What gets you through those days when you ask the question, why did I come back to this? What's your response to it looking back on it? Well, what I didn't
0: realize at the moment that there was an incredible gift in that in that moment, I remember in the dark of my bedroom, pulling myself to the floor you know onto my floor, falling on the floor, and my prayer went something like this I said, "God, I said, you know show me a way through this or show me a way out and I say to people, the gift of being at rock bottom is." there's nowhere to hide. You know, it doesn't show you so much who you are. What it shows you is who you're not. And I let go. I let go of all of my dreams of going to the Olympics and um, all of my hopes for, you know, my sporting life. And in this incredible moment of letting go, you know, you've heard that expression, let go and let God. Yes. And Letting go of I realized that the only way around this or you know I say that healing comes not from running from our experience but living through it, and I realized I had to go through this experience. I had to face my darkest fears and the, and and in that letting go, you know my eyes were open to a new way of not just doing but being in my world. And I said to myself, I'm going to find something in my life. I can't give up now. Um, I owe it to my parents, to everybody that's helped me. And I felt, you know, the funny thing is I felt I had something to prove mm. to everybody else. But in fact, the only person I had something to prove to was myself. It,
1: it seems, Janine, that at some point you stop looking down at what you no longer have and you start literally looking up. Uh, and you see not only new possibility, but a new a new a new reason for hope that's going to get you out of bed and out of that darkness and back into the <laughs> great possibility of life to tell our listeners uh, about yeah. this crazy, ambitious dream that you, you <laughs> receive as a young woman in the body cast.
0: It was crazy, John, because you know sometimes we sort of hold on to this life that we think we're supposed to have, and and that's our agenda, and that's it. And in the letting go, you know, comes this incredible. Well, we get, firstly, we get this clean slate, and we and and new possibilities. And when I got to that point, sitting outside in my wheelchair, you know, I remember just looking up, and this airplane flew overhead. And in that moment, in that crazy, unlikely moment, I thought to myself, Hmm. You know, maybe I can't walk, and if I can't walk, well, maybe I can fly, yeah. <laughs> and I had never wanted to fly in my entire life ever you know and I remember saying to mum, you know mum mum, mum, I think I'm going to fly, <laughs> and she said, "Oh that's nice yes. you know, you, can I make you a cup of tea?" <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she thought it was crazy, and it was crazy and you know, she, I had at that stage, still covered in a plastic body cast. My mom and a friend of mine drove me out to the local airport a few weeks later, carried me into the flying school. They thought I was crazy. <laughs> they lifted me into a light aeroplane. And I was filled with so much joy and excitement. I can't even tell you. And I remember the flying instructor uh, taxied down, you know, applied the power, took off, down, you know, lifted, when the wheels lifted off the runway... Oh, my gosh, I was about yes. to explode with excitement. And he let me fly the airplane that day with my hands. I couldn't move my legs. And and that was it. I thought to myself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn to fly. And I thought, I I didn't even think about passing a medical. <laughs> I'd worry about that later because this was my dream now. And that
1: moment changed my life. Tell me about it. What, what, what begins to happen <laughs> after that, Janine?
0: Yeah. Well then, you know, I have this plan. I'm so excited. I'm so passionate. It's like this. I call it my pilot light. There was something inside me, inside me, that was, you know, ignited. And suddenly, every day, I had a reason to get out of bed. I said, "That's it, Mum." I said, "You know, I'd, I'd get out of my wheelchair and." And she'd help me lie on the ground and I'd, it took every ounce of strength to lift my legs, just you know, an inch off the ground. And, and that was every day I progressed that way. And I got a training diary and I started writing down everything that I was doing. I took my heart rate. I wrote that down. I wrote down how many hours I slept. And, and then I got to the point where I used to push my wheelchair around the house And people used to say, well, aren't you supposed to sit in the wheelchair? (laughs) I said, no, if I sit in the wheelchair, how am I going to learn to walk? (laughs) And so while I was learning to walk again, I got Mum to buy the books I'd need to study for my pilot's license. And, you know, most of the time, most of the day was sleeping because my body was recovering. And whenever I was awake, I'd be up and reading these books about aeronautical knowledge and Um, And that every day was just, you know, inch by inch and I did whatever I could. And uh, gradually, as I was learning to walk again, mum would drive me out to the flying school and they'd put me in the aircraft and I'd take a flying lesson. And um, eventually, I passed my medical and I got my restricted private pilot's license. And then I learned to navigate and I flew uh, friends around Australia and I got my unrestricted private pilot's license. Uh, And then I uh, went on and got my commercial pilot's license. I got my instructor rating. And then I got a job back at the same school where I'd gone for that very first flight, teaching other people how
1: to fly. Janine, you know, you are such a passionate person. When you talked about growing up in Australia, when you talked about the training, when you talked about the hills, recovery, and yet you're your level of zest and joy just went way up when you started talking about flying. You know, it's, it's palpable. You can really feel it. What is it about being in that plane and being in the heavens that gets you so fired up?
0: Well, I think it's a great metaphor for life, you know, that sort of vast blue sky and possibilities. And for me being paralyzed to flying was the ultimate freedom. Hmm. And you know, when I was up on, walking around you know people would stare at me all the time the way I walked the way I looked and after my accident it really affected my my self-esteem so to be out there doing something like you know with the, I remember the the doctor that said you'll never be able to do the things you did before it was like okay well you watch me I yeah. maybe I can't do those things but I'm going to do something extraordinary so it was really important for me and my sense of self and and Um, you know, my self-esteem that I was doing something that was, to me, extraordinary. You know, look at me. I can fly an airplane.
1: (laughs) Have you been back to the physicians who told you that there was no reason for hope and that you would never be who you were before? And I'm just curious, what is their take medically on on the woman that you become?
0: (laughs) Well, I have to tell you that I'm really good friends with all of my surgeons and doctors now, even that doctor that told me I would never do the things I did before. And you know what? I can thank her now, John, because I think that gave me the motivation to really prove her wrong. And I think they all look at me now and I know that my orthopedic surgeon has a picture of me in front of an airplane on his mantle um, in his office. And I think he likes to tell other patients my story.
1: Janine, what, what what is your story today? Physically, how tell me how you are.
0: Well, I am a paraplegic, although I'm a walking paraplegic. So I have all of the injuries that go along with spinal cord injury, and people find that extraordinary. They say, "What? How can you be? You know, how can you be a paraplegic or a walking paraplegic?" Well, I've learned to walk again, and I do have a limp. Um, I have a lot of uh, chronic problems that go with spinal cord injury i still have to use a catheter Uh, i still suffer with chronic pain and i get constant urinary tract infections and um, i'm in and out of hospital for the rest of my life every now and then i I say i have to i need a grease and oil change (laughs) (laughs) go and put my body back together somehow um but that's okay it's you know i have a you know i've learned to manage with you know with my pain and you know it all comes down to focus as you know as much as anyone else john you know that um you know, when we focus on things, it tends to make them a lot worse. And people often ask me about how I deal with chronic pain, for example. And I say, well, it's something that's always there in my life. But it's like turning the, the radio down in the background. And I, you know, I, I've learned to live with that. And I know it's always there. But I focus on the good things of my life and the things that I can do.
1: You have been through so much. And yet you still face some real adversity every, every day, Janine. How often do you ask, why me?
0: Well, I stopped asking why me a long time ago. I was given an incredible gift in hospital in that when I was going through one of the the darkest times in hospital, um, they moved me next to another patient who was similar in age to me who had had an accident, um, a car accident, and had much worse injuries than I did. She woke up on her 18th birthday I actually mentioned this in my TED talk. Um, her name was Maria. She woke up on her 18th birthday to the news that she was a total quadriplegic. She could only move her neck. She had damage to her vocal cords. So, you know, it, I could never complain. You know, all I, you know, if ever I felt sorry for myself, I just looked in the bed next to me and thought, oh my gosh, I could be so much worse. And Maria and I remained friends our entire lives until a few years ago when she finally left her body. And, you know, John, the r- remarkable thing about Maria, if anyone had a reason to complain, it would have been her, right? Yes. She never once complained. She was always smiling. And whenever I spoke to her, the first thing she asked me was, how are you? Hmm. I consider that almost saintly. Yes. And I, mean, I don't know how how she did it because, um I always say she gave me the greatest gift of all, and that was the gift
1: of acceptance. Mm. You you write and speak a lot about acceptance and uh, lo- loving who you are, making sure that we all realize we are not just our bodies. Do, do me mm. a favor and, and share share your passion and your heart for uh, for loving loving ourselves in spite or maybe because of who we are, like regardless of the scars and the challenges and the brokenness that we see when we look in the mirror?
0: Well, I'm covered in scars. (laughs) And a lot of them you can't see, but, you know, I love them because they've made me who I am today. And, you know, I realized that um, one of the greatest lessons when I was actually having a talk to um, the curator of TEDx in Kansas City and he was talking about my story, and this is prior to actually asking me to give my TED talk, he said, Well what a you know, what a story, you know, what's the one lesson yes. the one most important lesson you've learnt? And I've said, Well, I thought about it. I said, Well, I think the most important lesson is that I'm not my body. You know, I think that we're, you know, as you said, we're we're spiritual beings having a human experience and our body is just a temporary vessel for this, you know, for, this, um, for our spirit, for this life. And once we recognize that, once we recognize that, you know, we are the defiant human spirit, I think that's what makes
1: us unstoppable. You shared an incredible word that I love, and it's also uh, the title of your book, Defiant. What does the word defiant mean to you?
0: It means... You know, it means saying yes to life, all of life. I think there's so many great examples of defiance. Sometimes defiance is, you know, standing up and fighting for our rights and and that's a wonderful thing. But defiance also, I think, manifests in other ways. I mean, to me, Maria was defiant. To live a life, you know, which just, I mean, when I think about her, it's just, it's so humbling to be able to live a life. From the age of 18, in a wheelchair where you can only move your head. <laughs> you know, she had to, her mother had to bring a cup over to her with a straw so she could drink. And to live that in a way that was, um, it was incredible, you know. To, to She gave so much back to other people. To live like that is to live with grace. I mean, that's defiance. To say yes to life like that, wow. I mean...
1: It's an incredible example, Janine. And you, by the way, my friend, are a very similar example of defiancy in action. You wrote the book Defiant. It's uh, The subtitle is A Broken Body is Not a Broken Person. Why did you write the book?
0: Well, there have been so many times where I've thought about, you know, why I continue to do what I do. And three years ago, I was um, after my TED talk and I was getting letters and and emails from people around the world. And one in particular stood out and it was from a man in India. And I remember opening my computer and there was this email waiting for me. And it went like this. He said, "Uh, dear Miss Shepherd," (laughs) he said, I have been facing an ailment for 19 years. And it's so bad that I was considering suicide. He said, but I saw your talk today and i was given a ray of hope he said my life starts now mm. he said pray for me and i remember that in that moment i thought to myself i i can't i have to keep sharing my story you know because this is what ignites me i know you love that word john and i love that word too and um this is what i'm meant to be doing this is you know my purpose in life and this gives me joy and Um, And it's not just, it's not my story. I always say it's not my story. It's our story. Yes. And I think we get tremendous hope from hearing and seeing other people's stories of defiance and courage. And that is what, you know, I mean, it's what keeps me going. It's what's been a huge part of my healing is being able to share my story and in turn hear other stories from other people that had given me the strength to continue and keep going. So I moved. Uh, After that email, I thought, okay, I I need to spread my wings and share my story further afield. And for whatever reason, I was guided and brought to America. And eventually, um, even though I've written many books in Australia, um, they've covered shorter periods in my life. And um, I ended up coming here and and getting this this deal to write this book. And, of course, it brings um, everybody up to date with where I am now. Well, it's an an
1: amazing life and not one without mistakes and challenges. One of my questions that I had that I'm just curious about is if you could go back in time, I believe the event took place in 1980, was it 85? 86, yeah. 86. 86, yeah. And uh, gosh, pull your bike over to the shoulder and just take in that sunrise (laughs) and let the truck drive by and then hop back on. If you could go back in time and hop back on that bike and not get hit by that truck, would you do it? You're the first person,
0: John, that has ever asked me that question. <laughs> Gosh. Part of me would like to say yes. But no, I I wouldn't because you know, it's 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 opened it's made me a much a much better person. I say that my life went from two dimensional to three dimensional and four dimensional yeah, even, but um, you know, the people that I've met that, you know, it, I've It's opened my heart to love and compassion. And I'll tell you, talking about the shoulder of the road, I went back to Australia a few weeks ago. I went back for the first time to the exact place where I was hit. Mm. And I went back with the paramedic that was first on the scene of the accident.
1: What is that like? It It was
0: incredible. Oh, boy. Lots of tears. Yes, um, we've we've become great friends now, Gary. And while we were there, he pulled out his ambulance badge and he gave it to me.
1: Janine, that is awesome. You know, it's- it was. A- Really incredible moment. What you learned from Maria, that gal laying next to you in the bed, that my life starts now. The incredible thing about embracing your story, for all of us, is that it inspires the people around us to realize, like in kind, that their life starts now too. And I think that's the very example. That's the ripple effect, Janine, of your life.
0: Yeah, I think you know. I when I you know I always say that when you asked, why me? You know, I always say, well, you can turn it around and say, why not me? In the sense that, you know, I mean, for me lying in the spinal ward with all those people that I would never normally have met, never had anything in common with. um, And suddenly we all had everything in common. We're all paralyzed. We're all lying in the spinal ward. And we all had the same hopes and dreams for our life when we left the spinal ward. And I think it's that collective human experience that brings us closer to each other and you know, opens us to, opens our hearts to, you know, immense compassion, empathy, and love. And how can we ever say no to that?
1: Mm. Janine Shepard, we at the Live Inspired Studios always end our podcast by asking seven questions of our guests. We call it the Live Inspired Seven. So I'm excited to share these questions with you and to hear your answers to them. Bring it on. Okay, so I hope I hope you you you're well rested because you're going to need a lot of strength. These are all uphill. Get ready to start pedaling. Question number one. You know I love
0: the hills, John. (laughs) I know you love
1: the hills. You savor the hills. So here comes hill number one. What's the best book you've ever read?
0: Great question. You know I I love books. I love reading. But I would say without a doubt, my favorite book is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl.
1: Uh, it's one of mine too. For for you, what what's what's one of the main takeaways from that book?
0: Well, I think what I love about that is it's a foundation for all of us for what we desire. I mean, after all, what do we want in life? We want to know that our life counts, right? We want to know that it has value, and it has meaning. And I always say that it's, there's no meaning of life. There's only meaning in life, yes. and we create that meaning by the things that we do and how we live. And, of course, one of my favorite quotes from that book, and I know that you will know this too, is that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. That's what
1: we've done. That is what you have done, ladies. So question number two as you continue the bike up the hill is tomorrow (laughs) you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103 leaving you with millions (laughs) what would you do with that newfound wealth
0: wow didn't he have a good life 103 (laughs) well you know i am i have a passion i'm ambassador for spinal cord australia and also red bull wings for life yes i would love to find a cure for spinal cord injury i am trying at the moment to get something going for the x prize i don't know if you know uh, peter diamandis he's a friend a great friend. So to get that going, we are now in conversation with them about creating an X XPRIZE. Um, we need a certain amount of money to get to the first stage of that. So I would definitely put that into funding um, an X Prize to cure spinal cord injury.
1: Janine, tomorrow uh, you discover that your house is on fire and all living things, your partner, your animals, your, your family, everything is out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing that really matters to you, what would you run back into your house, your cabin for?
0: Nothing. (laughs) I know that sounds completely crazy, but I wouldn't risk uh, my life or anything going back into that house. And I know that nothing in that house really counts. Um, Nothing external, no thing. They're just things after all. And I have had to start all over again and I can do it. I've done it once and I'd do it again. So I would just Let it burn. give thanks for everybody out yes. and being safe.
1: Janine, if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to be on that bench sitting next to? <laughs>
0: well... So many people i can think of but i would sit on that bench i would invite uh, two people jesus and the buddha and i'll tell you why many many years ago a friend of mine gave me a book which was the um yes. a story of uh similar quotes from the jesus and the buddha side by side i was fascinated by that book so and i think that in many ways sometimes it's sad to think of how uh, religion has been hijacked in many ways um, and 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 separated us in, in so many ways. So I think I would love to sit there with both of them and say, listen, <laughs> how can we get people back to understanding that you know that what it's all about really is about um, love and tolerance and acceptance? And I'd love to hear their ideas on that.
1: Well, when you have that conversation, I, I look forward to your your next forthcoming book coming out around it. <laughs> yeah, what, what's, would the, be best, a, would be great what's the best advice that you've ever received
0: well you know what patience is not one of my great virtues <laughs> and when my daughter was learning to ride a pony and i remember i was rushing around and her riding instructor a lovely very down-to-earth uh lady said to me janine hasten slowly mm. <laughs> and in latin I love the Latin for that, which is festina lente. And what that means to me is just slow down, be really deliberate, pay attention, and savor the experience.
1: Mm. Gosh, I think we would all benefit from knowing the translation to that in our own native tongue. Hasten slowly, hasten slowly. (laughs) What would you tell your 20-year-old self, Janine?
0: Festina Lente, <laughs> hasten slowly. Um, that, I would say that, and I would also probably go back and say, Janine, what you think is important now, when you get older, you're going to realize that it really wasn't mm. important.
1: Janine Shepherd. it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read?
0: I would love it to say... Janine embraced her defiant human spirit.
1: Janine Shepard, you have indeed embraced your defiant human spirit and in doing so you've reminded the rest of us that our life starts now. Thank you for spending some time with us on the Live Inspired Podcast.
0: Oh, thank you, John. It's been just such a delight. Thank you so much for having me.
1: And Janine, for those who want to stay in contact with you, where can they learn more about your remarkable sp- story and remarkable defiance?
0: Well, they can go to my website, janineshepherd.com, and of course they can connect with me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. They can um, go online to the TED site and what, uh, listen to my TED talk, A Broken Body Isn't a Broken Person. And I'm looking forward to hearing from them, too, and hearing their stories.
1: My friends, this was Janine Shepard. I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy that story, that life, that example of heroism and courage and athleticism and then tragedy, uh, struggle, the difficulties that Janine Shepard faced how she rose above the vision, the faithfulness, the audacity, the courage, the community, the vision for something bigger than the struggles of today that she had as a young woman that guided her through extraordinarily long odds that have freed her to become the woman, uh, the inspiration, the writer, the speaker that she is today. Did you enjoy it? Uh, I certainly had a blast not only reading Janine's book, but also meeting her, hearing her story, and leaving a friend. If if you enjoyed her story and the stories that you've heard on this Live Inspired podcast as much as I've enjoyed bringing them to you, do me a big favor. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell those that you worship with or hang out with or drive around on the bus to work with about the John O'Leary and the Live Inspired episodes on the podcast. Tell them what it means to you and how it's inspiring you to wake up from accidental living so that you, yes, you, can live inspired. Yes, we are touching hundreds of thousands of lives around the world, and that is awesome news. And yet what we know is there's an awful lot of folks out there looking and longing and hungry and thirsting for hope and inspiration in their lives. And we think this podcast may help elevate the way they see their struggles and they see their own lives Not only is the podcast a way to take the next step forward, but as you heard on the front side, we are now launching our Live Inspired In-Studio with John O'Leary. I want you there. I want you to take the next best step in your life. So go online right now. Learn more. Check it out at JohnO'LearyInspires.com forward slash In-Studio. John O'Leary inspires.com forward slash in studio. This is a limited time offer. I want you to come on to it right now. I want you to join us in the movement. I want you to take back the possibility of your life. So I can't wait to see you in studio as we examine and as we elevate, as we do our own lives a little bit better tomorrow than we're doing it today. I'm excited to to, uh, share this experience with you. It's going to be a blast. Ooh, my friends, I love hanging out with you on these days. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We are growing, we are expanding, we are touching lives, and we could not do it without you. So thanks for being part of this. This is John O'Leary. This is a Live Inspired Podcast, and this is your day. Live Inspired.